You're listening to episode 380 of the UAV Digest. I'm Max Flight. And I'm David Vanderhoof. Hello, Max. Sorry we took off last week. Uh, I had a bad day, a little bit of flooding at the museum, so... and. We, we needed to reschedule our guests, which was a good thing, because I'm looking forward to tonight's conversation. That's right. We have an amazing guest. She's Wendy Okolo. She's the Associate Project Manager for NASA's System-Wide Safety Project. That's focused on safe operations of unmanned vehicles in the national airspace system. Now, this project is looking to develop new research tools, innovative aerospace technologies, and redefined operational methods. Wendy's got a lot of research experience, including stints in the U.S. Air Force Research Laboratory, the AFRL, at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and also the advanced development programs of Lockheed Martin, the Skunk Works. She's worked on multi-aircraft formation flight and performance-optimizing flight control for the Joint Strike Fighter, the F-35C aircraft. So, Wendy, welcome to the UAV Digest. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. You're also notable because uh, you became the first black woman to obtain a Ph.D. in aerospace engineering from the University of Texas at Arlington. I was at age 26. You're also the recipient of the 2020 NASA Ames Award for Researcher and the 2019 NASA Ames Early Career Researcher Award. But that's not enough. You've also received in 2019 the Black Engineer of the Year Award for Most Promising Engineer in the U.S. Government and the 2019 Woman in Aerospace Award for Initiative, Inspiration, and Impact, as well as the 2019 UT Arlington Distinguished Recent Graduate Award. Uh, Wendy, you must have um, a mantle that's just overflowing with uh, awards and <laughs> recognitions. Very good. Very impressive, to be sure. Yeah, that's true. There is a mantle. One of my professors in undergrad, well, in grad school said, Wendy, you must have an I love me wall, and you just have all these things <laughs> hung there. I'm like, not quite. Yeah, but, boxes. but well deserved. Thank you. Let's start with the NASA System-Wide Safety Project. What can you tell us about what it is and who's participating and what the objectives are? Yeah. So, when, you know, when you think about NASA, right, we have these different research and mission directorates, right? There is the Space Technology Mission Directorate, you know, where people think about NASA and it's like only space. But the big A in NASA is aeronautics, right? So we do aeronautics and we do space stuff, too. And um, the Aeronautics Research Mission Directorate has a number of programs, one of which is AOSB airspace um, operations and safety program. And a number of projects fall under those. But the goal of these projects is really in line with a number of strategic thrusts that the Aeronautics Research Mission Directorate comes up with and, you know, and, and has. One of these thrusts is Thrust 5. And it is basically an in-time system-wide safety assurance, right? How do you assure systems and systems of systems in time, right? So not in real time, but early enough for, for it to, uh, to make a difference in terms of safety. So the system-wide safety project falls under that. And what the goal is, what we're really trying to do is develop an end-time aviation safety management system, ISMS. Working for the government, we love our acronyms. You're going to find <laughs> that out about me. Yeah. So, but, you know, 
SMSs are basically like, you know, the policy, the procedure, the tools, capabilities, and methods that can um, mitigate safety, you know, really the safety flavor. And for one, they're not quite integrated, right, across the national airspace. Different people do their own thing, right? Airlines do their own things. Operators do their own things. Um, You have these different stakeholders that have what they define as their own safety management system. So for one, we want an integrated solution for safety management, considering the new entrants that are expected to be a part of our airspace, right? So when you have these integrated systems in our airspace, what does safety start to look like? That's one. And then two, how can we look at safety from a perspective of design and operations together, right? So you look at safety and design and look at safety and operations, and these two are typically individually separate and standalone. So how do we speed up across these two lines independently and think of them together such that when you're mitigating safety and operations, it influences design? Right. How can we kind of accelerate the design and operations side of safety and how can we develop an integrated aviation safety management system that considers what we have going on in terms of traditional operations? Right. Part 121, part 135. And then these new entrants, UAV, air taxi, um, drone operations. So that really is what the system wide safety project is, is about. And uh, who's involved in it? What does the, uh, the team look like? The team is very cross-cutting, multidisciplinary, and cross-center. So I sit at um, NASA Ames Research Center, which is in the heart of Silicon Valley. And we have um, different parts of the team at um, NASA Langley. So primarily Langley and Ames, Langley and um, Virginia, um, that you might be familiar with with some extent. But we're very cross-center, but working really, really close together. In fact, I was previously the sub-project manager on one of the kind of technical challenges, like subgroups in the project before I became the associate project manager. So I was SPM on the AIM side for one of the projects, and I had a co-SPM on the Langley side, and we worked very, very well together. So they will conduct flight tests at Langley, which they are doing. I mean, as of today, we had flight tests at Langley, and we'd get that data at Ames and use it for our purposes. So it's a very, very cross-center, multidisciplinary um project that involves people with the data science, machine learning backgrounds that want to look at a bunch of data and see if they can identify anomalies and precursors in that data that'll tell you something bad is about to happen. And then you have people working, you know, across the different centers on predictive, mitigative, you know, assurance tools, right? How can you predict with some certainty or some uncertainty, right, that, um, your, for example, your battery is going to discharge five minutes before your predicted uh, flight end because you've run into some heavy winds that you didn't anticipate. Or we have people working on the verification and assurance of autonomy pieces across the different centers as well. So it's um, we're all you know co-located and getting to do some really exciting stuff. You know, Wendy, when I listen to you and also when I uh, read some of the sort of background material on this project, safety keeps coming up, that word safety over and over and over again. And I think we all have, uh, you know, an idea in our head of of what that might mean in this context. But define for us what safety means from the standpoint of this project. Uh, You know, how do you measure it or how do you how do you tell when it's achieved? Uh, All of that. Yeah. And, and that's such a great question because 
you typically rely on stakeholder input to tell you when enough is enough, right? Um, the national airspace is really safe today. And they've defined over years what are acceptable levels of safety for a particular incident. So because, you know, this is not a monolithic thing, it's, it's just so, you know, and I kind of talked about different people having their safety management systems across, you know, operations, airlines, operators, you know, safety as it is, is really what people define and consider to be safe. So safety in terms of um, incidents that could occur on the ground, how many is too many? For us, for the purposes of our research and our development, we have stakeholder input from across industry. So we work uh, very closely with um, different partners in industry, Boeing, American Airlines. You know, we work very closely with the regulatory bodies, the FAA. In fact, we have a research transition team so that we're not building and developing these things in a vacuum. We know, one, who's going to receive it, and two, what kinds of regulations it can, you know, hopefully influence. And then the third piece, what, what I really want to communicate is in, in terms of safety, you cannot, you know, we, we stay away from saying we are going to ensure safety, right, in terms of everything. But what we want to do is make informed decisions early enough and properly, accurately characterize what that uncertainty is around whatever safety metric it is that you're looking at. And we define those thresholds based on, like I said, user input. So um, imagine that a UAV is flying, you know, this flight path or waypoints A, B, C, D, and there are buildings, right, along its flight plan. Imagine, you know, operating urban environments. And then one of our safety metrics is you are monitoring and predicting how close you will be to a building, right? Considering all these different factors that could be, I told you about like your battery end of discharge, wind gusts or whatever. And then you define a threshold that says your safety margin has to be, you know, four um, meters away from a building, right? And if you are predicted to go over that four meters with some uncertainty, then you're unsafe. Mm -hmm. So we define, yeah, we can define these thresholds. And, that, and that's what's so great about, you know, these kind of modular, um, integrated systems that have these different pieces because we can build as we go. And when we get input on what these thresholds should be for these different pieces for, you know, a safety management system, we can update the work that we're doing in terms of the models and the development. So maybe let's kind of construct, a, uh, you know, an example application. So just say there is a company that um, is interested in the uh, urban air mobility market. Right. They have great ideas for a design for aircraft and, you know, it's a startup that has great vision. How would the work that you and the team are doing, that the project is doing, how would that influence that urban air mobility startup company, for example? Yeah. Or even how would it possibly influence the design, right, of the vehicle? So. You can imagine defining a bunch of, let's say, safety metrics that are vehicle-centric or system-centric. So if I can tell you that your battery, for example, the end of discharge for your battery is you've created it, um, your battery will only last, uh, let's say, 30 minutes, assuming everything's great, then Knowing that information with a vehicle that you've designed, with the components that you've already designed, you can kind of map out what your limitations are in the infrastructure too as well, right? So will you need to um, 
stop and recharge? What will your operations look like if you're expecting to have multiple operations um, in one day? If you're trying to look at like a downtown kind of example, going from downtown to like an airport, right? And your battery, you know, the end of discharge for your battery will give you that. So you need to look along your route and see where it is you intend to um, recharge and continue operations. That's one. Another I talked about is in the design. So if we look at now, I give you an example of a vehicle-centric safety metric. If you look at an airspace-centric safety metric, for instance, um, now we know what the separation distances should be for um, manned aircraft flying, you know, typical commercial altitudes, because you cannot be too close or you can't be too, you know, close into the weight vortices that are generated from a lead, right? There has to be some separation in terms of controllability, stability, and all these other things. We don't know that for these air taxis. We don't know how what, what those separation standards should be. So the work that we're doing, and I'm actually working with um, a researcher in my division, but not on the project, to look at some UAM weight vortex modeling work. Because one, I have an interest in that. That's the research area I did my PhD um, for, like using a KC-135 and then a fighter aircraft behind. But if they can tell me the strength of the vortices that are generated by an air taxi, not just flying you know, above buildings, but imagine urban canyons where you have these interactions, right? That the wind, you know, when you turn a corner around the building, you have these localized wind effects. Taking what the UAM, what the air taxi is doing, considering what the urban environment could be doing with those localized wind effects, you can start to possibly define separation standards for these operations. And so the work that we're doing can influence like standards and regulations. We're not policy people. We're not going to, you know, write the standards. That's on the FAA. But we know our charter and the research can kind of tell you this is what you need to know. Sometimes you might not even be able to predict these things, but doing, you know, some diagnosis on like diagnostic tools on um, the components of the vehicles will tell you, hey, these IMU sensors are great for hobbyists and flying, you know, like at beaches or around homes or whatever. But they are not great for, for example, medical operations in urban, dense environments, right? Or they have some sort of proclivities and impact when you can imagine like a wildfire scenario where temperature becomes any, you know, and if like a, a big, big consideration for like these different pieces, how do the sensors on the vehicle withstand these different things? So we can influence regulations and standards with the research that we do. It sounds like enormously complex, you know, issues that you're looking at. I mean, even just, you know, thinking about, yeah, a moving aircraft flying through the canyons of, of a city and all the, the variables involved and so forth. So many. Yeah, so it many, must be yeah. really, really complex. <laughs> has the task uh, represented kind of a moving target or or has the scope changed over time as – new ideas come out and, you know, you start out with, oh, Amazon's going to, you know, do drone deliveries and now you've got urban air mobility. You know, it just kind of keeps growing and expanding. Is that is that represented a difficult task scope-wise? Max, how do you know this? Right. I just want to know how you know. It is such a moving target and it makes sense because these are emerging operations. You have players that are there today and tomorrow they're out. You know, you have people that are willing to 
this, you know, seems like a great new hot area for us to invest and throw some money. And then they realize we might not get returns on our investment for a while. And then they pull out. And because, you know, NASA is the civil service, basically the work that we do really is for the benefit of humankind. So we love to partner, right? We love to partner with people. We want to um, do work that, that makes a difference. Um, it, it sounds sappy, but it's true. It's true. That's really why, you know, um, a lot of my colleagues get up each day and are really excited to do the work that they do, but it is a moving target. Um, I, I, I would argue that a lot of the things that we do are still fundamental. Mm-hmm. And th- that's the great thing. It's not, you know, it's not a project that the work, if, if, if the target moves or shifts in any way, is rendered obsolete because the basics, you know, the fundamentals, the physics behind it remains, right? Even the machine learning tools that are developed, one of our SVMs today was talking about um, doing this, you know, working on like a multivariate time series search that would basically query over, you know, a specific no- specific number of variables and see what flights match the constraints that, you know, his, his inserted and let's say he was going to work with that and pass it on to an industry partner. And that industry partner felt like they didn't have the need for that anymore. We found like multiple uses, you know, of who would be interested in that work. So even though it is a moving target as these things are changing with emerging operations, there are so many um, applications for the research um, tools, the models and algorithms that are developed. And we release these things into the world. We open source a lot of our code and, um, our team, um, the diagnostics and prognostics team that I'm in at NASA on the administrative side, um, recently released some prognostics models and algorithms on the GitHub. I <laughs> I could share a link with you later, but um, this is all open source stuff that people can play with and, and, and do what they want and use for their own application. So even though it's a moving target, as you would expect, the work is important in very, very vast different applications. Did you have something, David? Oh, I'm just kind of speechless. Um, <laughs> Wendy, you had me at KC 135s and vortices. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, vortices aren't always bad. They can be useful. I guess the next question is, we talk about a moving target. Is the target ever going to get hit? Things have changed so much, and urban air mobility is one of those things. And like you said, people come and then they go so quickly where do you see it ending up? Hmm. Let me pull out my crystal ball here and look. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, like you said, urban air mobility is a moving target because, you know, that's the one that we can't quite point to and say, this is the future of urban air mobility. These are the vehicles. This is what they look like. There's a fleet of them existing and waiting, but, even though that's a moving target, a lot of the other pieces aren't, right? On the small um, uh, SUAS operations and stuff, that's happening already with or without us. People are buying their drones and using them for whatever purposes in so many different industries, right? In film and movies, in um, sports, in agriculture particularly, that's one big one. Um, And then in, in healthcare, I was reading about drones being used to fight malaria in Malawi 
and my mind was just blown, right? Because it was like, you know, a bunch of these researchers from Europe that were mapping out malaria breeding sites, uh, uh, mosquito breeding sites, and seeing if they could proactively like mitigate, you know, the the spread, the growth and disseminations of these. And, and my mind was so blown. So I was like, it's happening already with or without us, right? Mm. It's happening. So it's not as bleak to think about it as a moving target, even though it is in one domain and another domain, it's, it's here to stay. Um, and then the future, I think for UAM in, in terms of like industry, I, I kind of like the idea because I'm a researcher. I like the idea of like starting small, mm-hmm. right? Just start with something, even if it's two vertiports in one city establish operations right and we can see and learn and grow from that so that when it's time to scale and we're doing the work that'll enable that scaling right the airspace you know operations infrastructure the kind of density what's feasible what is it where could the vertiports be located um it's we're, we're doing that work we're doing the work that no one will want to do and pay for but you know it's again it's nasa we're ready to do that work but i think there there is a future but just kind of remembering we can start with something and and scale up as and so where are we on the overall timeline here are are we just are we just getting started are we somewhere in the middle you know kind of in terms of deliverables in terms of project results that can actually be used where are we in that process we are already we already have results that are being demonstrated in flight tests. Like I was saying, uh, our SPM and one of our technical challenges was doing some flight tests this week, right? So we 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 really already even have flight tests, you know, in previous years. But we've developed to start out with. We've developed the architecture and infrastructure requirements that will enable a set of services, functions, and capabilities that could enable safety. So not the IASMS complete as a whole, but we're developing the building blocks of it. And so we're testing out a number of our safety metrics in flight this week, you know, as I speak. We're also integrating with other projects um, that are doing some of the air traffic operations. When you think about what, you know, air traffic will look like for these new entrants, they're not focused, you know, per se on the safety of the vehicle or, you know, the airspace, but just how do we even move these things from place to place? And with some, you know, conflict avoidance work, we're integrating with some of those um, other projects as well. And those people are, you know, working with external partners, trying to demonstrate some of their, um, their, their infrastructure and simulations. And so we're working closely with them already. So um, we have milestones for the different technical challenges, basically the different groups that we're meeting and ensuring that we meet each year because we do have to report to Congress, right, on what we are doing with taxpayer dollars. And, and, um, and we do. And we are for sure developing a set of services, functions, and capabilities that will feed into the overall ISMS on the timeline. I, does that help? I hope that helps. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm uh, when now I'm hearing about you know open source software and things like that, and I'm thinking of uh, you know commercial applications um, here. Uh, what about a relationship with with military applications? Is is there uh, are, are you kind of supporting those applications as well? Applications as well. I'm thinking about the you know the loyal wingman kind of project and and some other things. Or is the military stuff all completely separate? 
you know, doesn't the military always do its own thing? Well, and yeah. isn't it always separate? <laughs> yeah. But no, no. So we work with um, other branches of the government, right? And there are different how many letter government organizations that we work with. There is nothing really hindering those collaborations from existing. But because of the nature of the work that we're doing and the transition of the research, it's primarily like the commercial partners and then the FAA on the regulation side. Notwithstanding, though, I am plugged into um, just when was it two weeks ago, I gave a talk at UAS West um, Symposium, and that was very, very heavy um, Department of Defense, military, Navy, um, Navy folk and personnel just talking about what it is that they're thinking of in terms of like the UAV um, world and work. There are some things that we do that will ultimately benefit and they might be doing some of that stuff already. I give you examples of a few safety metrics that are important, but there are others. Um, just how can you predict that on your flight route, you will have degraded GPS signal or will lose GPS signal either um, maliciously or non-maliciously, right? Right. And yes. so if you think about, yeah, if you think about the overlap, that's stuff that the military is interested too in, in as well. And, and that's stuff we look at. Um, we do have a component that is some cybersecurity, but not as heavy, but we really are focused on the safety typically for things that we can model, predict, um, and pick out of big data. One kind of application that seems enormously complex to me is uh, swarming, drone swarms and things like that. Um, have have you done any research into those kinds of, you know, vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle interactions? Yeah, so there, there's a lot of that, and but it's primarily like the communications. Um, mm. What is that communications infrastructure going to take? We are um, funding, so, you know, I talked about our commercial partners and, uh, government partnerships like the FAA and all of that. But we work very closely with universities as well, right? We work really, really closely with um, uh, universities in the U.S. and have a number of, you know, NREs, cooperative agreements and grants. And some of the work that uh, these universities have done for even other um, other beneficiaries uh, can port over to, to the work that we're doing so even though our researchers in-house are not really working with swarms, we're providing subject matter expertise to external partners who are working with multi-vehicle and looking at multi-vehicle operations. Um, we are, even with our flight tests, looking at multi-vehicle operations, not just in the flight test, but we can simulate um, multiple vehicles, right, in an environment. So let's say you fly one or two, you can simulate multiple others and try to um, develop scenarios in which you are expected to have issues with safety and see if your mitigative tools do what they're supposed to do, mm. right? Um, and if they don't, how can you track that down? Is it something with the design of your scenario? Is it something with the vehicle? Is it your sensors? Or is it with your algorithm? So we're doing, we're, we're doing some of that, but not swarms per se, but kind of multi-vehicle operations is, yeah. Yeah, is, yeah. Is, is some of the stuff we're looking at as well. It's fascinating stuff. It's all fascinating stuff. Yeah. Uh, Wendy, I mentioned um, the other day when we spoke that while our primary audience is uh, pretty sophisticated and, and knowledgeable, but we also have uh, a number of younger folks who, uh, who listen, and many of them see 
drones as uh, you know or unmanned aircraft as an um, a future career or something that they would like to get involved in uh, because of their interest. They may not know really exactly what that might mean for them in the future, but but they know they're really interested in it. So uh, for those uh, in that uh, situation listening and who who listen to you and say, I want to be like Wendy, uh, do you have any advice for them or, you know, a path that they should be thinking about or how they should view maybe a career in doing research like this? Yeah, yeah. So my path is, I, w- I think it's unconventional because I work at NASA, so people would always just assume I always knew I wanted to work at NASA, and that was my dream. And I think that works for some people, right? To say, you know, hey, I want to be an astronaut. This is what I'm going to do. And they know that the only thing I really knew was I wanted to be an engineer. And I knew that since I was maybe five, even though I didn't really know the details. (laughs) I I knew that for a very long time. It was in college. I figured out what kind of engineer I wanted to be. But... I will tell you what I was consistent at, and it was about being excellent in whatever phase I was. And so even though, you know, I, I say this to really reassure people that you don't always have to have this grand 10-year plan and know exactly how you're going to get there. Sometimes it's good to really, really, really be good at what it is that you do now. And it serves you in no way whatsoever to have a 10-year grand plan of being this, you know, amazing NASA person and not be doing great at whatever it is that you're doing now, right? So I, I feel like you can find diligence and excellence in every step and every phase. And I, you know, I, I, I'm Catholic, I'm Christian, so I'm going to quote a, find me a man that is diligent in his work and he will stand before kings or she. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that diligence to me, I, I think is very important, particularly if you don't understand something, go back, you know, one step further and like one step back and get all the textbooks and all the books that can help you and just really be diligent in whatever it is that you do now and the path and it, it'll come, hmm. you know, is what I want to say. It'll come. But just that diligence is, is key. In my, in my opinion, that's that's just me. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's great advice. Really, yeah. really good advice. All right. Well, David, this has been pretty interesting. Um, you know, I think there's a level of research and uh, and so forth going on here that's um, you know much uh, much greater than I had realized. Yeah, uh, depth and breadth, um, mm. definitely. Um, and you now we are, you, you know, Max. You and I have talked about it. We are partial to that A in NASA. You know that that yep. first one. That, you know that that was around long before the yes um but yeah i wendy i mean it it's definitely you're on the cutting edge but it sounds like more the point it just sounds like you have fun doing what you're doing it does, which yeah. is a real joy to hear yeah those those of you listening um don't have the benefit of uh the the video um that that we can see but uh, uh wendy has been pretty much beaming the entire uh, conversation. And yeah, so uh, I think David's uh, right on when uh, he mentions that you uh, you look like you will really enjoy what you're doing. I get to do things like this, like talk to you too. What are you talking about? Yeah. This is great. Yeah. This is great, you know. So thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me. 
Well, we want to thank you for joining us. Uh, our guest was uh, Wendy Okolo, the Associate Project Manager for NASA's System-Wide Safety Project. And we'll have, uh, we'll have some uh, links in the show notes to point you to some more information about that. And we want to thank all of you for listening to Episode 380 of the UAV Digest. You can find us at the UAVdigest.com. And if you're listening to this and want to go straight to the show notes for this episode, well, you, you know the magic key by now. It's the UAVdigest.com slash 380 because that's the episode number. And, of course, if you want to talk to us during the week when you're not listening to us in your ears, you can do that by joining our Slack listener team. And you do that by sending us to an email to feedback at the UAVdigest.com, and you can join the conversation. And, of course, you can find us on social media. Max and I are both on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter. So I guess with that, we're going to say thank you, Wendy, again. And this is David in Delaware. And Max still, still back in Connecticut, believe it or not. Thanks for listening.